0: Peace world, peace world. This is your man, Ant Boogie. Don't worry about the name. Get used to the voice. And it's another episode of Keeping the Tile. Thank you so much for vibing and chilling with me again. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a new day. It's a new opportunity. It's a new month. And with that new month came a new round. And that new round is bringing us some more challenges that life is going to give us. But I want to make sure you're still in the fight with me, ladies and gentlemen. I have another sparring partner in the gym with me today. And boy, this is going to be a good one. I promise you folks, you don't wanna miss out on this one. Let's just put it like this, get ready to have your jaws dropped. That's all I'm gonna tell you, get ready for your jaws to drop. You're gonna find out how this incredible person kept their towel and continues to keep their towel. So ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you got in your mouth guards and you got your gloves on. Coming into the gym with me today, all the way from England. That's right, London, England. I got Miss Leticia Francis, ladies and gentlemen. Miss Leticia, what's going on, young lady?
1: Hello, hello, hello. How are you?
0: I am well. I am well. Wow. Leticia, you got on your gloves because we're about to get into this sparring ring. You ready for this? Ready to rumble. All right. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, here comes round one. Of keeping the towel. So here we are. So, Miss Leticia, go ahead. Tell the people about where it all started for you.
1: So I am originally from Bermuda, born and raised proudly in an Onion. Um, and my story begins on a humble little island. At the age of seven, I was told that I was the reason for my parents' divorce. My birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. And funny enough, at seven, that was a defining moment for me. I remember questioning a lot around that age as to why my family dynamics were slightly older. My mom was getting ready to get married, and my father had already remarried and I kind of felt out of place. And I remember having this conversation with a family member and kind of being thrown back for a loop, you know? Um, At the age of seven, that is a very hard piece of information to process. And I, it internalized it, and it became part of my narrative. Um, I believed that I was worthless. Like, who breaks up the most important relationship in their lives? My mother remarried. Her husband didn't like me. My father's wife didn't like me, and they both were raising a family. Um, my mom had two young kids. My dad had a stepson as well. And I was kind of in the middle of two families. So for me, I, I wanted attention. I wanted to be loved. And I started acting out um, quite early on in school, um, in social environments, I, I just mentioned. And as I grew, that attention turned into a need to be loved. Um, like I said, I was in the in between two families and not really ever finding my place. Um, and by the time I was fourteen, I was a fully developed what I thought to be woman. <laughs> And I was out searching for love. And I met this man who I thought was going to be my knight in shining armor. He was 28 at the time. So he was twice my age. And, you know, I was vulnerable. I was extremely vulnerable um, in, emotionally in, at that time in my life. And here comes this man who almost promised to save me from my troubles And I believe I fell in love, (laughs) you know. So I started spending a lot of time with this guy and my parents found out about him. Bermuda is a very small island and your neighbors know more about your business than you do. So... (laughs) very early on my mom was aware that i was seeing this grown man and at the time i had a family member that was a police officer who ran a background check on him and i remember her coming to me and saying you gotta leave this guy alone he's no good he beats women every woman that involved with him has filed a restraining order against him. you gotta leave him alone and that was when I began defending my relationship with him. Yes, he was twice my age. Yes, it was inappropriate. But this was the only person to this date that I felt accepted me for me, loved me for me. And at that time, there were no strings attached. So I defended my relationship. I hadn't seen that part of him that people were telling me about that my mom had read about so I started hiding being with Pam um this went on for years and I remember about just before I went 16 I went to his house one day and I walked into his room and I was choked from behind he attacked me from behind he had suspicions that i was seeing someone else he was extremely jealous and he wanted to wanted me to know that that's not how we're gonna play this game and i remember being terrified because now it's coming to light that maybe he isn't the person that i knew because who chokes a 15 year old someone in his household pulled him off of me that day And I remember packing my stuff. I had a lot of stuff up his house. So I remember packing my stuff into trash bags and leaving. I I walked to my uncle's house, who didn't live too far from me in absence, saying, I need you to take me home. I never told anybody about him choking me because, of course, I'm spent almost two years defending my relationship, and I didn't want to be in a position where somebody tells me I told you so. So, back to regular life, I'm still in high school at this time. You know, um, I just got on with it. I had enough sense in that moment at that age that I knew that that's not re- what relationships should look like. And I didn't want that for my life. So, we, we move on with life, right? And I re- remember time a couple of months later, I had gotten into an argument with my mother's husband. And it was a big argument over what I can't remember, but I remember threatening to take my life that night. And I was mocked quite severely. My mama's husband called my sisters into the room and they were so young, they don't even remember this, but called my sisters and my mother in the room turned on all the lights and said, let's kill ourselves today. And I remember taking a handful of peels and swelling it with a glass
0: of water and running out of the house. Wait, wait, really wait, have... wait, 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 stop, pause. Um, Your mother's husband, new husband. My now. mother's husband. So this gentleman turns on the lights and treats you like basically a spectacle in front of your sisters and And my mother and your mother and you down the pills in front of them yep and then ran out of the house what did your mother do when you started to do that
1: i don't remember anything being said other than the exchange between him and i if she said anything to me i don't remember it but she did come after me when i ran out and i remember getting she put me into the car and we drove to the hospital and I remember her being very angry. Like she was so mad that I would try to take my life. Um, so we at the hospital, I had to take charcoal drink um, to coat my stomach. And I was put on the psychiatric
0: watch. Um, so- For how long?
1: I was in the hospital for three days, I want to say
0: three days. So he was on the psychiatric watch for three days.
1: Yes. I was in the hospital. Um and after that there was a meeting called with family services, with a psychiatrist, with my parents. And I my grandmother was there as well because she played a very big role in raising me. And I remember being in the room speaking my truth, like how I felt, like, you know, I feel alone in the world. I feel like, you know, um, I can't go to my parents. And I remember saying to my father, you know, I remember what my cake looked like at three years old, but I don't remember you being there for like really big things, you know? And that I had a resentment against him because there was a period of time before I tried to commit suicide that I had gone to live with my father I had gone to live with him and his wife and I was there for maybe two weeks and I remember him coming home one day and saying to me you know what my wife really doesn't want to raise another child so you're gonna have to go back home and you know so I had a resentment like I didn't ask to be here. I was made to feel like I was too much of a responsibility for the two people that brought me into this world. And I remember telling my daddy that and he got up and walked out and I didn't speak to him for years after that moment. So it was just me and my mom I had resentments against her as well because I always felt like she put her husband in front of my needs. I felt like I was ignored. I I felt unwanted. I felt like I was an inconvenience to people. I'm not gonna lie, I had the biggest chip on my shoulder. <laughs> like you couldn't tell me nothing after that because like you've shown me that you don't give a two shits about me and why should I respect you? So I think my attitude amplified um and anytime my mom said anything to me it, it began a fight and we got into a fight one day and i ended up pushing her to try to get out of the house and i'm sure you know in black families news travels very fast so all of my mama's siblings knew that i had put my hands on her
0: it traveled fast and it travels distorted
1: Yes. So I, you put your hands on your mama. How dare you? You know, you hit you're her over the, the head waters. with a glass. Listen. <laughs> but anyway, a couple days later, I, I got back to the house after school and there was a registered letter. And I don't know if you know what that means. You can't just deliver it. Like you have to sign for this letter, right? So I'm saying to myself, why would I be getting a registered letter? Like I'm probably just shy of 17 at this point, why would I Why would I get a registered letter? And honestly, I thought it was from my father. So I went to pick up this letter and I remember getting back to the house. And I'm, I'm talking to my mom about this, like who would send me a registered letter? <laughs> I get back to the house, I open up the letter and it means to me that I am no longer lo- allowed or welcome on my mother's property. And if i return to my mother's
0: property i will be
1: arrested
0: so your mother put a restraining order against you basically
1: i guess it's it's not technically a restraining order but i was not allowed on the property i could still interact with her i just was not allowed at that address and i suspect her husband had a lot to do with that but that's another story but so now I am 17. I don't have a relationship with my father. My mother's family are handling me with a long-handed spoon because I'm putting my hands on my mama. And I have nowhere to go. I have no roof over my head. Um, so I did what the best thing that I could do, I called this man that I have been in a relationship with Had choked me because he had his own house and he had somewhere for me to go and I remember you know like hey my mama just kicked me out can I just come stay with you for a little while and he was like of course you can you know I love you and blah 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 so I moved in with him and almost immediately the psychological abuse began It was like, your parents don't love you. You have no one in this world. The only person that cares about you is me. And you owe me. You owe me. You owe me big time. And at that age, what was I supposed to do? You know? So I started this relationship all over again. And I suffered a lot because I was a minor. I had... My hands were tied. It was either have a roof over my head and food in my stomach, or be out on the streets. So you know, I went back, and I'm in this relationship that people are still like giving me a side eye about. And of course, now I really have to defend it. There is no exit plan here. You know what I mean? So you can talk about my man. As well, you're not going to disrespect him. He's doing what he's got to do, but behind closed doors, it was like literally dealing with Jacqueline Hyde. He drank a lot. At that time, I was drinking a lot because that was the environment that I was in. You know what I mean? So we eventually got married. Um, I got married just before I turned 19. Honest, I, I can't say that there was a lot of physical abuse until after The marriage like i feel like once we got married all bats were off i was his i was literally his property and that's what he used to tell me you know you belong to me i can do whatever i like with you around that time i started working as a customs officer so i worked very closely with the police and one of the things that i saw very early on is that The police like to gossip. So there were times when I was dealing with stuff in my household that I wanted to call the police. But because I saw how they used to mock people and make fun of people, literally spread people's business around the streets that should have been confidential, I didn't want to put myself in that position to be working alongside people who would know my business. Like I do believe there should be a separation between work and private, like business and private. Definitely did not want anybody knowing what was going on in my household. So I used to wear long sleeve shirts in the middle of summer to hide bruises or wear my sweater all year round to hide what was going on. You know what I mean? And I put on a front, like, I'm so happy. You know, I'm always the life of the party, big personality, always cracking jokes. But it was really just to keep people from getting close to me like really seeing what was going on like I look I even look back at pictures from that time and I can see how empty I looked in my eyes but I put on a front you know you get up and you do what you have to do every day I mean this man used to torture me like he used to keep me up at night he used to Pour cold water on me and tell me fall asleep is going to set me on fire. He would pour whole bottles of alcohol into the bed that I'm laying in and tell me, if you open your mouth, I will set you on fire. You know, um, one of the apartments that we lived in had a sliding glass door as the front door, and he used to barricade us in the house. And, and torture me. Like I, I couldn't get out of the house. And I remember there was one instance, um, it was right before a major holiday. And I got my nails done, I had ac- acrylic. My nails look sharp, okay? Like I was fly. And he came here drunk. And he did not like the colors of my nails. And we got into a fight. And I just wanna say like, I used to fight back. like. I were bro, like we. If you're gonna put your hands on me, you're not walking away without bumps and bruises too. And that day, the fight was so bad that like the acrylic on my nails was ripped. Like he ripped the entire nail bed off my finger. Like it was right at the tip of my cuticle. I guess you call it. I don't know what what the name of it is. And. He had tried to barricade me in that night and you just have this sense that some days are going to be worse than others. You know what I mean? Like some beatings are just not the same. They're not all the same. And there is, there's this, I got to get out of here. Like, this is going to be bad today. And I remember him trying to barricade this door and I managed to get out. I didn't have one pants. I had on a tie-dye t-shirt and socks. And I remember running down the road trying to get away. Um And my, my dad's sister lived about 10 minutes away and I ran to her house. So I'm bloody half naked and I remember her getting there and she was like well what are you going to do like let's call the police so you can go back and get your stuff so we called the police and the police came and picked me up and took me to the house and he put on this big show he had this noose made out of an electrical cord talking about he was gonna kill himself if you know if I left him and in between the time that I had left the house and The police came back to the house with me. He hid the car so that I could and stuff in the car so that I couldn't get my stuff. So like I'm coming back to get clothes and my stuff was not in the house. Like he made it seem like I didn't even
0: live there. So, man, this is this is good. But so you so you're going through your life, and I'm I'm just bringing it from. From the beginning to here now, so you're going with, through your life thinking that you're the cause of a breakup of your own family. You're with that burden, mm-hmm. that psychological burden, and then you leave at the age of 15 and or 14. You go, you you're with this guy, and then mom kicks you out, whatever. At the age of 16, you go back to him two years later, and then you're married to this guy, and. Here it is now You have You're wearing sweaters And all that stuff Were you still Having this sense Of a silent cry for help? Did you have that? Or did you keep that front?
1: It was a silent cry I would say There were maybe Two people in my life That knew what was going on Mm. Like wholeheartedly Um, And I would talk to them But I wasn't ready To Leave Which is odd i i mean it's Now that i understand the cycle of abuse i can understand why i wasn't ready right like we get caught up in the honeymoon phase that seemed real because we're broken psychologically and emotionally we believe the things that were told right like let's be honest the physical abuse in any relationship is never first The strategic abusers are strategic with what they do. Let's keep it real. If he met me at fourteen and he choked me out at fourteen without the psychological abuse that was attached, I would have never went back. But he fed into the narrative that I felt worthless. He fed into the narrative. My parents don't give a shit about me right and that broke me down so yeah i spent so much time i was ashamed because like you know the difference like you know that you don't deserve this but how do you get away from this i was 14 when i entered that relationship i was Not even 19 when I married him. I had never lived on my own. I had never paid bills. What am
0: I to do here? So he had complete control there at that moment.
1: Yeah. After that incident with the police, I think that's when things started to shift for me. Because now the police were involved. And I knew that there were certain people on my job that knew that I was going through something. Because the police gossiped about it. Right? So now it was like, okay, I go back and I gotta hide it more now, you know? So like, I didn't wanna be exposed. I felt vulnerable by people knowing how weak I was within my relationship. And I felt weak. Right? We move on. Like, I'm coming into my own. I'm now in my early 20s. I'm realizing that I kind of want something more from life. Like, this can't be it. You know what I mean? And I remember having a conversation with him one day about wanting to go to university. And he was like, You're married. You made a decision to marry me. So now you're just going to up and leave. And I remember feeling guilty about wanting more for myself. So, there was a hurricane in Bermuda and it ruined the uh, apartment that we lived at the sliding glass door we moved in with a friend of his. Things were going pretty well while we were there because I feel like he was kind of on his best behavior. Yes, there were times where we had arguments. Yes, there was a lot of verbal abuse, but the physical abuse was very minimal because we were living with somebody, right? And there was one night, a friend called me and I'll say this, like all of my friends really believed that I was living this picture perfect dream. Like I have been with him for so long, it was 10 years at this point. And because I pretty picture, we traveled a lot, he bought me Louis Vuittons, you know, it seemed like I had it made. And I think at early twenties to have like $20,000 worth of Louis Vuitton, to your friends, that's a big thing. Because, like, you're stuck on material stuff. You know what I mean?
0: And also, you're giving that with showing pictures, that I'm fine. And again, the facial expression, body expressions. So, of course, they're going to think, yeah, Leticia's. she got the life we want. Yes
1: a lot of my friends used to come to me for relationship advice and i'm gonna be honest i used to feel like a fraud like i don't know anything about a relationship let's keep it real Mm. but this one particular night a friend called me and she was in a relationship with a heroin addict and he was abusive to her and she was like i just don't know what to do i need your help and I had this book that I read every day and I still read it every day until today by Ian Levenzen. and I randomly opened the book and I said, I'm going to read this passage to you. And as I'm reading it, it meant so much to me. It was talking about how people are in your life for a reason, a season and a lifetime. And a lot of times we are in situations and circumstances that make us feel very uneasy, or we are very unhappy because we're keeping relationships that have expired. We're holding on to relationships that only meant to serve a reason, and we're trying to keep them for a lifetime. And I remember, like, I don't know if you ever been church, but like you go to church after night out drinking. Oh, and yeah. then he passes talking about fornicating and right. partying like, and you Man. feel
0: like he's talking to right, me, right to me.
1: <laughs> thanks God <laughs> well that's how I felt that I was reading that to her that night, I could not find my myself in, and I thought I had left it at work. My husband came home very drunk. Like, he was almost falling down drunk that night. But he let me know that he had myself in. And, you know, I'm an open book. At that point in time, I wanted someone to love me. I was married, right? But I was not getting what I needed out of my marriage. I felt unseen, I felt unheard, I felt unworthy. So of course, if someone else is gonna share me attention, I'm taking it. Someone had been texting me and he saw the text messages. I remember him walking towards me and I saw like a knife. <laughs> and I was like, is this guy for real? Like, he's gonna pick up a knife? Now I put up with a lot in this relationship, but in my head, I'm like, this guy wants to kill me because nobody picks up a knife. Like, you do not pick up a knife unless you intend to use it. And I I went to the phone and I called my mother. Like my, me and my mom's relationship, we touch and go. We spent months being best friends and then we spent months not speaking to each other. And I honestly don't think we were talking in that moment, but I called her and I was like, mama, you have to come get me. You have to come get me like right now. And he pulled the landline out of the wall. Like he literally yucked. Like I wouldn't have been able to call her back. And we started fighting. In that moment, I knew deep down that if I didn't get out of this house, I was gonna be severe. He barricade, tried to barricade us in the bedroom that we were sleeping in. And he was like, you are not leaving. He started pulling all my clothes out of your drawers. Like, you're not leaving me if you try to leave me today, one of us is dying. Like we're gonna die today. Like that was his, like he was so angry. And he just kept saying that over and over and over. Every time I tried to leave the room, he was pulling me back. And at that time I had dreads. They were probably like mid-back at the time. So he was literally yucking me by my hair, trying to keep me in the room. And then I remember him, like, I I, I don't know if I was trying to get close. I, I don't know what was happening in that moment. But I remember him lunging towards me. And I remember seeing the knife. In that moment... It was almost like an out-of-body experience. Like, I, it's no other way to explain it, but I watched him and me <laughs> in a fight. Like, I, I wasn't there. It was, I don't know if it was disassociation, I don't know, but in that moment, I remember watching the knife go into my body and he stabbed me right underneath my breast, my arm. I remember that, but I don't ever remember registering pain. Like, I think I was just in shock that this guy just put a knife in me. Like, in that moment, his
0: friend must have come here. So hold up. So he stabbed you under your breast and under Under your, my
1: breast and in my arm.
0: And so the bleeding was profusely or it was just... It was trickling.
1: trickling. It was trickling. It wasn't like, be moved. <laughs> It was trickling. I could feel the warmness, but I didn't feel pain. And I remember his frame bursting into the room because he had barricaded it with—I don't know how to explain—but like top of where stackable containers, Mm -hmm. like really big containers. He had tried to barricade the room with this, and his frame burst into the room. So I ran into the living room, and he and fell on the couch. And I remember him straddling me on the couch and literally trying to stab me again. And I'm like, it was like Matrix, like trying to avoid being stabbed. In that moment, his friend pulled him off of me and told me I had to get out of the house. They, He literally pushed me out of the house. It was raining that night. I was like, I'm bleeding. I have no phone. (laughs) I don't know what to do here. And miraculously, my mom in that moment. So once he realized that somebody was outside for me, he starts throwing my stuff out the window, like my clothes, my shoes, my uniform. and my purses. Your Louis <laughs> Vuitton the, purses? My Louis Vuitton purses. Listen. Huh. So, the, the, the ground was muddy. It was muddy. And I remember my mom was like, get your stuff and let's go. So, I'm trying to put my stuff in the car. And I remember him coming out again and realizing, wait a minute, these Louis Vuittons. Mm. Right? He wanted those bags back. And he was literally pulling his stuff out of the car trying to find these purses there was one purse that he did not throw out and that was the most expensive purse it was seven thousand dollars for this purse and i wanted it and i remember like trying to go back in the house to get it and then realizing like wait a minute like are you crazy here like this guy still got the knife he's got your blood on you and your mama's hurt like this could end up being really bad. Just get in the car, get in the car. So we left with whatever we can get out of the mud. My mom never got out of the car, um, but whatever I can get out of the mud into the car, we left. So I get to my mom's house. And she was like, you got to go to the hospital. you got to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I'll go to the doctor if I need to, but I'm not going to the hospital. There cannot be a paper trail. I don't want anybody to know about this. You know, like, no. And I remember arguing with her over and over and over about going to the hospital. We managed to stop the bleeding. Um, And she said to me, okay. So what are you gonna do now? Because you can't stay Mm here. So like this tuning in time in my life was my absolute lowest point. That was the moment that I needed someone. And again, I was reminded how alone I actually was. You know, like I felt abandoned in that moment that uh, here I am, I've just been stayed by my husband. And my mama is kicking me out again. So she drove me to the police station and from the police station, I was taken to a homeless shelter that was um, designed for domestic abuse, survivors or victims. It was technically a women's resource center. So I get there and I'm like the only person in this shelter that is actually there because I've been abused. Everybody else was just literally homeless or jobless and didn't have a way to support themselves. And I guess it was a good thing because I was given room, which I needed to like kind of collect myself. Anyway, I stayed there for two and a half months. I was still working. My worst fears were realized in that moment because most of my co-workers found out about that night yeah, because that I out. had to go to the police station. That's... And I remember hearing whispers about, oh well, that she shouldn't have been with me in first place. That's what happens when you go with somebody so old. Like Whoa. I was the reason for the that I endured. And again, it's like you're getting blamed for like these really big things, right? It kind of diminishes the way that you look at yourself. I was hurting and I was alone. And here I am for the first time in my adult life, alone and trying to figure out life on my own, right? Prior to this time, my identity was tied to someone. I was either someone's child or girlfriend or wife. I didn't know who I was. And I think because of the way that I viewed myself for years, I didn't really like who I was. So you think by walking away um, from that kind of situation, like, you'll find yourself, you'll find your peace, you'll find your happiness. That didn't actually happen for me. I remember going through the process. I ended up getting a restraining order against my husband um, with the help of the shelter. They linked me with a lawyer. I processed the divorce. And I'll tell you what, I felt like the biggest failure in the world. I had ruined another marriage right and it sounds so crazy when i say it now but that's the space that i was in i didn't believe in divorce but here i am filing for divorce i walked away from my marriage and i struggled with that for years i felt like a failure i felt like what the hell are you here for girl like everything you touch just crumbles what what are you doing
0: But at the same time, when you feel like you felt like a failure, you knew that this was a very dangerous situation that you're in.
1: Absolutely. My intelligent mind knew that I did what I needed to do to save my life.
0: But your love mind is saying.
1: My love mind and my inner child Mm. that was bruised and battered was still on onto that narrative that everything you touch crumbles like you are the destruction in relationships you know what I mean like it's it's weird when I say it I I, like I always want to shake myself as I talk about that but that's where I was and that showed up for me with drinking heavily like I drank I could drink a man on the table. Uh, I mean, I used to be so proud of the fact that I could put down 15 shots on my break and still get back to work and act like nothing's happening. That was my life. I walked around with a flask in my purse. I went to the club with a flask in my purse to top up the drinks that I got because they were too weak. On oh, top of the 15th. <laughs> Listen, I, when I, at my worst, and I'm not even like, I'm not glorifying this behavior, mm-hmm. but at my worst, there was a time like when I was going through my divorce. I um a hotel bar, this was friend. And you know, people know people, so I wasn't paying. You know what I mean? But I remember getting to that bar that day and I used to drink um, Johnny Walker scotch. And he cracked that bottle when I sat down at 11 o'clock in the morning. That was Mm. my drink was the fresh drink. There was nobody else at that bar drinking Johnny Walker that day. And in that day, he cracked another bottle because that I was drinking. That's That was the norm for me. Whoa. I used to drink bottles, you know? And people, like the people that work knew that I was like hiding something. Like I would knock off to go to work. I mean, I would finish work to go sit in a bar until it closed, to go to somewhere else that was open. And in that time, you know, I'm meeting people oh, you like me? Okay. You know, I wasn't in my right state of mind. I literally used to go work drunk. My, my coworkers giving me Altoids eight o'clock in the morning. Cause we used to work like 24 hours on 24 hours. So, you know, I'm drunk, like literally drunk. My hangovers don't start until four o'clock in the afternoon. Cause I'm got that much alcohol in me. You know, that was my day. Like, yeah, I went to work, but when I'm not at work, I'm drinking. I was never him, And in that time, like I'm meeting people and I'm entering into toxic relationships or situationships because that's what most of them were. Let's keep it real. But there was this guy that I met, like I really liked him <laughs> and yeah, he was married. And there was a part of me that was like, who cares? Now, this is a person that really believes in the sanctity of marriage. That wasn't me. That wasn't a person like I, I don't condone, you know, cheating and all that stuff. But the place that I was in, I didn't care who I hurt. You know what I mean? And I didn't see it as hurting anybody. I felt that I was in my own pain.
0: And somebody had to feel your pain.
1: Yeah. So. After a couple of years of just endless drinking and partying, I realized I wanted a little bit more out of life. So I moved to Atlanta. I got a full scholarship to go to Georgia State, and I pursued um, actuarial science at first. I'm a smart girl. So I thought I was gonna be somebody's actuary, but it was, I don't like insurance. So I knew doing, but in that time while I was in Atlanta, I really was trying to find myself. Like I stopped drinking, you know, I'm gonna focus on school. This is an opportunity to press reset and really reestablish myself. But in that space, I think I was still running away from the pain that I had experienced. I was still running away from myself let's put it that way I didn't spend the time to do the healing that I knew so although I survived being stabbed I was still kind of in survival mode. you know like no direction I was trying to get my shit together but it wasn't really working I met this guy I mean and when I say he knocked me off my feet like I was just like this is what a real relationship supposed to look like right I was with him for almost four years. And I remember I was supposed few well, we had talked about marriage so that I can stay in the States. Let's keep it real. I didn't want to go back to Bermuda. (laughs) And I had gone back to Bermuda for a short period of time to work. And I decided, you know what? I'm gonna surprise this guy. Now, because of my amazing full scholarship, it was paying for my apartment, it was paying for you know, my room and board. So my apartment with this guy was paid for for several months. I showed up unexpectedly. I was supposed to be gone for another couple of months. I showed up unexpectedly and found him there with a woman who happened to be his wife. This one was a big shock to me. Like the other guy that I had told you about, I knew he was married. But like, I literally was in a relationship with this guy. Like, not pretending relationship. Like, I had spent Christmas with his family. I had spent Thanksgiving with his family. I had traveled with his family. I had met his children. You know, I was in like flan, I thought. To find out that he was married was the like a huge slap but i think in that moment it was like why are you in this space again how could you be so naive that you're in this space again and i think that probably began my self-reflection but i didn't really do much about it if i'm honest i graduated from georgia state i moved back to bermuda I got a job as a catastrophe modeler, and that sounds a lot more exciting than it actually is. (laughs) But (laughs) I was finally in a space where you know what? I don't want anything to do with guys right now. Let me just focus on me. Let me just figure out what the hell is going on. And I'm obsessed with Vyana Venzen. I picked up her book the piece from Broken Pieces. And I remember reading it and just thinking to myself, okay, this woman's been through a hell of a lot and if she can gather and pick herself up, so can you. So I think in those moments, I started really working on myself. I had gotten some workbooks that she had produced. One was like, in in the meantime, was one of them started working on that. One of the biggest things that I took away from that process is looking to learn. Like I realized that the reason why I was in these repetitive kind of relationships is because I wasn't learning the lesson. There was a lesson to be learned. And I realize now that, you know, all throughout life, we are we are tested over and over and over to see whether or not we have unpacked the lesson for ourselves. And I realized in that moment, I'm, I'm in these toxic relationships because I haven't learned the lesson from the first one. And I got to work on me. I remember having a conversation with somebody about what my perfect man would look like you know, funny, cooks and cleans, you know, good D game, but sees me. Being able to connect with somebody on an emotional level that I needed, right? Cause like I, I saw that everybody else that I had been with were not connecting with me on a, they weren't available emotionally. And I accepted that because I just somebody in my space. So here I am, I'm fixing myself now. And I meet this guy. <laughs> and he was everything that i wanted on my list that i had written out except taller than me i'm five nine and a half (laughs) i needed somebody like towering over me and he wasn't that. but he gave me everything else he seemed to be emotionally available he gave me the attention that I wanted he treated me very but he had a little demon that I didn't know about and we moved in quite quickly as if I hadn't learned my lesson already <laughs> but he lost a member of his family and in his grief he relapsed on Crack. I must say the the guy that I was with in Atlanta was a cocaine user, a heavy cocaine user and had experience with being some, like prior to this, if I'm being honest, the only time I had ever seen cocaine was during drug busts that I did as a customs officer. Like I had never been in an environment where anybody did anything other than smoke weed. Right. So I think I was very naive in my first relationship, but having had that experience, when it came to that second relationship, I was like, no, no, wait a minute. We're not doing this, but like you need to get yourself together. I'm trying to fix me. I can't fix anybody else. And, but I was struggling because here it was, this perfect guy, right? <laughs> he was perfect. And I just couldn't let him go. That relationship led me to being arrested on my job. Um, And I worked in a very stuffy corporate environment. That was my rock bottom for me. Not being stabbed, but being arrested, being locked up. Former law enforcement officer. That was shameful to me. Like... Complete shame. And you guys calling...
0: for accessory.
1: Yes, I was an accessory to um sterling I will receive sterling goods. Um, from my boyfriend at the time he had stolen some goods and given it to me and i was in possession of them
0: you didn't know these were stolen
1: no i didn't know they were stolen i wouldn't have done that i i like my freedom right <laughs> and in bermuda get locked up you have a chance to losing your opportunity to travel to the states i like to travel too so i ain't trying to get in trouble so for me no I thought about my name being in the newspaper I thought about them doing a news story on me like all of this was running through my head I was so shameful and I will say this during that time where my boyfriend was using I had tried to get him help and I had met a coach during that time who was working with you know addicts and she said to me she goes I don't normally do this but I see something in you and I also see that you're broken and if I can help you in any way let me know but in that space but she had said it to me that day I wasn't ready for help I didn't think that it was me that needed help in that moment but being in jail having to call my mother and say I need you to get me a lawyer was heart-wrenching for me and I think the worst thing was she decided she's coming down to the jailhouse, right? So I'm inside and they're like, your mother's here. And I'm like, no, just leave me in her. Like, I don't even want to see her. And like, you know, you see movies and stuff where like people will say or somebody might tell you, you know, the worst thing was looking at my loved one from across the glass that broke my heart like it absolutely broke my heart like i think i probably would have felt better if i had known that i had actually done something to be in that position but being on the other side of a glass having to explain to my mama what's happened broke my heart and i remember her saying to me in that moment why do you love everybody else more than you love yourself Ooh. That was like a body blow, like boom, boom, like TKO. Oh my gosh. Like what just happened here? But it was what I needed to hear in that moment to literally change things around for me. Then I left that jail that day. I was there for about 10 hours. When I left that day, the first thing I did was call that coach because I knew in that moment that I needed to change. I, my actions were not the direct reason why I had been locked up. However, all of my decisions to date had led me to that moment of being behind the glass, talking to my mama. And I had to take ownership for that. And I think for a very long time, and I said this earlier, I was in survival mode. I didn't know what else to do. Like I just took Everything that came to me and made the best decision that I had with the skills that I had, I never healed from anything. I never healed from the relationships with my parents. I never healed from my marriage. I never healed from everything that happened in between that. So I was literally walking around like a cesspit pit of pain and anger and everything else. And, you know, I worked with this coach for several months and I, my, my mindset started to shift. I realized how much power I actually had in, in my life. I think, you know, a narrative that I carried for a very long time was that, you know, life is happening to me. Like, I don't have control over this. I just have to deal with whatever comes my way. And working with the coach really allowed me to see that, first of all, the way that I think is why I'm in some of these situations and, you know, but one thing that came out of that was you have to change the way you look at things in order for things that you look at to change. And it allowed me to really start challenging the way that I viewed myself, the way that I viewed circumstances and my experiences. So as a result of the coaching, I decided to move to England and really press reset. This was an opportunity similar to the one that I hit when I got divorced. This was an opportunity to figure out who I was and, and create a life for myself. There was no one in England that's gonna know about, you know, the stuff that I've been through with my mom and daddy. There's no one in England that's gonna know about my being up by my first husband. There's nobody that's gonna know about these men that I have been involved in that were toxic. Right? Nobody's going to know that I had been arrested. So I came out here and I really just put my head down and I focused. Like, it was like, I'm going to create the best version I can. I was given an opportunity to press reset and I took full advantage of it. My career blossomed. You know, I was doing really well. The guy that I was seeing at the time um, got clean and he moved out here with me. Um, were now married with two children. Um, but in that process of re and a new version of me was great. But then I realized at one point in time that I was kind of falling into that, um, I was becoming complacent with my life. I wasn't really moving on. I wasn't doing anything. And, um, you know, I've done really well. I had done really well with my career at the time. I was, you know, um, the second in command in my department in Lloyd's of London, which is the oldest insurance institution in the world. But as a Black woman in that role, I want to feel kind of like how I felt in every other relationship in my life. Like... I wasn't being respected. My true value wasn't appreciated. And I was taken advantage of. Um, I'm an island girl. And I like to describe myself as a self-contained hurricane. I have a big personality. And I think because of my experiences, I'm not willing to be shut up. Like, you can shut me up now. You know, but I was in situations where I was constantly being pushed into a subservient role and it got to a point where I was just like, I can't take this anymore. It was just like a replay of my life and I I wasn't willing to do that. And in the recent years, I have, you know, been satisfied as a coach. I now work with women, um, helping them, as I say, get their mind right, because that's where it starts, in your mind, in your thoughts, and your beliefs for yourself. So you can see the success and fulfillment that you desire in your life. Um, I had an incident and I started my, my business while on maternity leave. And with the thought that, you know, I'm just gonna use this to, you know, make some extra money and as, as business builds, I will eventually leave my job. And I returned back from maternity leave to absolute chaos. And I remember being in a meeting one day with this white English man (laughs) shouting at me, cursing at me and calling me out of my name. And I put him in his place quite quickly. I was like, do you speak to your wife like that? And he was like, no. I said, well, you're not going to speak to me like that. And I remember at the end of the conversation, my boss called and was like, do you realize that you were the reason for the tension in that call? And in that moment, although I had gone through a healing process, I felt like I was in a really good space in my life. It brought everything back to me. Like, you're the reason for your parents' divorce. You're the reason for your own divorce. You're probably the reason for the abuse that you had in, in that moment. And I, I made a decision that this absolutely cannot be my narrative anymore. And I walked away. I resigned two weeks later, and I walked away from a 14-year career. I realized that, you know, it's not my place to make anybody comfortable. It's not my place to dim my light for anyone else. And I spent 20 plus years dimming myself, quieting myself, putting myself in a box and wearing a mask to meet the expectations of others. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. And because of my experiences, I think I don't want anybody else to do that. You know, there are so many women that have stories like mine, better or worse, that have spent 20 plus years walking through life really with no purpose. Believing that life is happening to them and they don't have any control over that. You know, my whole life I've been told I'm too loud, I'm too opinionated, I've got too much attitude, I'm too smart for my own good. And I think in my and I realized that those aspects that people want me to feel ashamed of were given to me for a reason. I'm loud, have something to say. I'm opinionated because I can speak in a way that other people are scared to speak. I have a big personality so that I can draw people to me that need need to hear what I have to say. And I believe it's my responsibility to take my story and present it in a way that can help others. You know, my journey has taught me that yes, life happens, but it's important for us to be able to Learn the lessons along the way. It's important for us to learn how to turn our mess into a message, our task into a testimony, and be able to be impactful to others. My journey has taught me that it's not just about me in life. And we all have a purpose. We all are here to make an impact. It's up to us to be able to heal from that so that we can make an impact. And I think the struggle that most people have, ability or the inability to come out of survival mode, that's my story. (laughs) And you know, I'm really passionate today about the work that I'm doing with women and helping others see the purpose in the stories that they have you know, that they often hold back in shame because they're the only ones that walk through that. Like, I'm so grateful today for the experiences that I have because I know now that it all served a purpose.
0: Now that you are a mom and you have little ones, What's that message that you will give them as they grow older?
1: It's important to me that my daughters never experience what I've been through. So it's important for me to every day because I know that they are watching me. Like, I remember being a child, my mom being in a room that she hated. For 27 years, she stayed in a room that she hated. And I remember saying to myself, that's never, ever, ever going to be me, right? 20 years later, it was me. I don't want to be in a position where I'm making sacrifices that my children think is okay to make. I, I never, ever want my children to, to have their lights damned by anyone. So for me, it's important that I show up as the woman that I need my children to see as a royal model. Why do
0: you keep your towel?
1: I keep my towel because I know that I can help someone else. By throwing it in, in the towel, for me, it means that I can be as impactful as I that I was born to be. One of my favorite quotes, and it's my own quote, is that we need to walk as if every step that we take is about to make an avalanche because we are here to change the world. So I keep my towel so that I can make avalanches every day and make the impact that I know I was born to make. I'm here to change the world. Right. And if I don't do it, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm selling myself short and I'm selling my tribe. It's
0: easier. there's any last words you want to say floor is yours
1: if anyone's listening to this and you have been through a situation similar to mine i just want you to spend some time getting to know like and trust yourself because that's where it begins it doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion of you is it's What is most important is what your opinion is of yourself. And if you begin to believe that you are um, the narrative that you have been told, your life will change. So get to know, get to like, and get to trust yourself. And in those moments, you'll be able to see a difference in your
0: life. There you have it. There you have it. And Leticia, thank you for being in the sparring gym with me. And um, yeah, to our corners, we shall go on that one ladies and gentlemen miss frazier has a coaching website black rose coaching.com and leticia if you want people to go ahead and catch you how can they connect with you let them know
1: Connect with me on um instagram i spend most of my time there black rose coaching black is spelled b-l-a-q-u-e um but yeah connect with me
0: reach out start a conversation say hey that's what's up man and yeah folks you're gonna see all of her contact info in the description box go ahead and connect with her and yes ladies if you are out there you have you're enduring something that you have heard from leticia say herself that she had to put on this front that she's happy she had to go ahead and hide things and there was a silent cry for help and you know you're out there please go out there and reach out to her and this lady is willing to help you you have you have a voice an advocate for you and please don't feel you're alone no matter who you are where you are you have help out there leticia thank you so much thank you thank you thank, thank you. you yes it was a pleasure talking with you and i look forward to talking with you again some more And ladies and gentlemen, you want to go ahead and connect with me is right there in the description box. You'll be able to see everything there. This sparring session is now over. And as I always tell you, wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears. But whatever you do, don't you dare throw in your towel. This is your man and boogie. I'll check you when I check you. I'll see you when I see you. The round is over. We are out of here. Peace.